Hello and welcome back to our weekly podcast Shift, where each week we navigate a shift in ideologies, methodologies and consequences with regards to a particular topic. We hope to begin a conversation on various topics that you dear listeners will continue on our Instagram page at @shift. A hearty welcome to all our listeners. Thank you for tuning into Shift. I'm Shreya Belalcharu, your host for today, and I will be exploring the impact that the shift in the textile industry-related labor in India has had on the condition of its workers. In pre-colonial India, the entire process of manufacturing cloth was done by weavers at their own homes with the help of their family. Cotton was bought directly from the farmers, after which the weaver and his family would work at whatever time suited them. Once the cloth was ready, the weaver himself took it to a town or the weekly village market to sell it. With the increases in demand, the weaver was unable to maintain a steady supply only through the help of his family. Thus, a division of labor was created wherein each family in a village undertook one stage of production. Traders and other middlemen began to exploit the weavers and this led to subjugation and economic loss for them and their families. Colonization further corrupted this process. India's textile industry was destroyed and the country was transformed primarily into an agricultural motor for British capitalism. Soon, the domestic market had grown to be favorable solely for the British textile manufacturers. Tariffs were imposed to make sure that the British goods entered the Indian market virtually free when Indian goods were kept out of Britain's market. In the early 1990s, as the process of economic liberalization was initiated in India, there was a shift towards placing greater emphasis on private and foreign investment and greater integration with the global economy. This move helped India secure a higher growth rate but it had limited success when it came to expanding employment opportunity. With the advent of globalization, labor-intensive processes were exported to parts of the developing world where labor was significantly cheaper and more flexible. As a result, even today, years after the end of colonial rule in India, we see how a developing nation like ours manufactures goods for export to advanced industrial countries. Indian garment workers, mostly women and children, are employed by factories and suppliers to create textiles for European and American fashion labels, including H&M, Zara, American Eagle, and more. While this shift has helped generate millions of jobs in developing countries, the increase in employment has been accompanied by structural shifts in production, characterized by lower wages and deteriorating work conditions. To further discuss this issue, I have with me today Cherry Nair, a Mumbai-based fashion designer, blogger, and sustainability activist. Hello, Cherry. Welcome to our show, Shift. We are extremely glad to have you on our show to discuss and dissect the topic at hand. My first question for you today is, how is today's fast fashion industry different from the old manufacturing and industrial line of clothing. Hi, Shreya. Thank you so much for having me here. So getting back to your question, 
the traditional line of fashion was rather i think more methodical and constructed typically brands would launch four collections which would be based on the seasons like summer spring fall and winter designers and fashion houses would have to work months in advance to predict plan and produce styles they would believe that their customers would want and this approach made them adopt a more standardized clothing that they had to manufacture at a lower cost possible so the production was all outsourced to countries where the labor was cheap which also meant longer transit time so the brands had to ensure that they had to pre-plan the right amount of inventory whereas now i feel it's more of a pull marketing strategy and production strategy that brands use so fast fashion as the name suggests it thrives on being fast you know it's fueled by speed and agility and be it in copying of trends making them accessible to the masses rapidly increasing the production cycles volumes and scale and speed of the turnover of the collections now brands have gone further away from just introducing four collections a, a year and fast fashion brands now introduce 52 micro seasons a year thank you for your response to get a deeper understanding of the textile manufacturing process could you please explain to us and our listeners what a fashion supply chain is so fashion is a labor intensive industry and the origin of the garment traces back to the source of the raw material so clothing supply chain refers to the process of tracing each step of the clothes manufacturing process sourcing of raw materials to the factories where it was made as well as the distribution network through which the clothes are delivered to the customers so now there are different stages the first one would be you know conceptualization and designing then it would be the textile production process where you take the fiber weave it into a fabric then the dyeing and finishing of the fabric then the manufacturing process and within the factories itself they have different stages where you know you always have a master who's doing the main cutting of the fabric then there's a seamstress who's stitching the piece together then there are people you know who are involved in putting all the fixtures and fittings like your buttons or certain embellishments on the clothing then there's a different channel of distribution and retail through which these products reach our stores and the end using stage where a consumer actually purchases them wears them and i feel there's a new layer that has been added to this loop which is the stage of recycling wherein hmm. consumers either recycle the garment themselves through different ngos or other processes or they give it back to the brands for recycling as you mentioned the international apparel sector is a labor intensive industry which makes it a classic example of the bio driven supply chain uh, since the late 1950s the industry has seen a series of geographical shifts as capital has migrated from one region to another in search of the lowest cost and most flexible forms of labor available what does this change mean for workers so mass production in factories is taken place in developing and underdeveloped countries you know the workers over here they exploited harassed and underpaid and most of the workers over there are women so the treatment that these women have been given it's mental abuse physical abuse it's it's not tolerant 
and workers aren't even given decent facilities and working conditions yeah this is very true i even read this study conducted by civitep a bangalore based non profit organization that focuses on worker rights and uh, that study actually concluded that the city's garment workers often suffer from and i quote respiratory illnesses ergonomic issues like back pain mental health problems and reproductive issues and their average monthly income is only 4000 rupees all such information is readily available on the internet and things such as the rana plaza incident are almost landmark events that drew public attention towards workers mistreatment yet big capitalist companies of the west are able to bypass labor protection laws in third world countries such as ours and exploit them what is your opinion on this yeah so definitely the rana plaza incident was a very big thing that happened in bangladesh and it made big waves in fashion and post the incident an accord treaty on fire and building safety in bangladesh was signed with a lot of the retailers i do not know the technicalities in depth of what this treaty you know contains but i do believe it took a lot of time to execute and even today many retailers are not a part of the accord now another thing is you know all of these accords they do expire and it, it could be probably a one year or three year expiry so the number of brands or retailers that actually sign the accord again even that is questionable because none of these stats are very openly available online now yeah. local laws may regulate your fire pay safety working conditions but the enforcement is often weak because there are not in, enough inspectors and the, there's a possibility of corruption of the officials exactly they sign these accords and behind the scenes there's no actual implementation uh, the india factory act says that no worker should exceed more than 48 hours a week but an investigation conducted by the bbc found that indian women working at a ralph lauren supplier had been forced to stay overnight multiple times a week to complete orders these kind of incidents are so common as we discussed and the reasons are endless most of these fast fashion brands don't own or operate factories in india this creates distance between them and the working conditions here uh, even the government lacks leverage with export oriented companies and of course the auditors auditors that come to see when they are here the message is swept under the rug i truly believe the main goal is to cut cost you know fast fashion is aiming to cater to the masses and these are the people who are expecting you know high street or like catwalk trends available to them at affordable prices you know the goal over here is not to maintain a certain level of quality or a finesse in the fabrics the goal is very clear that it is reduction in cost so because of that reason it's always been in the dev- underdeveloped or developing countries that have been a target for products for productions for these companies i think we've discussed in depth the various atrocities committed by fast fashion labels worldwide this information however isn't new what do you think makes these companies so susceptible to success so i believe that fast fashion does employ a lot of people i think it's around over 300 million people globally 
and a lot of these people are from lower income groups or in developing or underdeveloped countries so i think that is one aspect in which you know people actually consider that okay it's adding to the value of the country and employment rates secondly the profitability of these brands is very high so it allows them money it allows them cash flow to reinvest in the business use it for their marketing branding launching campaigns and you know paying of influencers it also is affordable accessible and fashionable like the rate at which they can copy trends and make it available to the masses it's like lightning speed so it also hits the hammer right on the nail as the consumers get catwalk trends cheap quickly and making them feel like a celebrity walking their own red carpet wherever they go be it like a college or dinner or brunch or anything and then fast fashion also offers variety and convenience you know every personality style style characteristics lifestyle climate whatever it may be fast any fast fashion store okay you enter you get everything so it has outfits for a person who follows a minimal style someone who has a boho vintage or you know electric style all everything combined in one you can get it at the same store so it does provide that convenience of getting everything from a basic tee or lingerie work attire evening wear everything under one roof and i feel now more than anything because because of the internet the whole social media trend of having influencers people posting their you know their shopping hauls every single day like i think it's built a deep desire within people to buy more from these brands because now we don't just idolize celebrities we idolize influencers as well so i think that plays a major role in it as well yeah that's so true social media makes all these fashion trends so accessible to the youth and that invariably plants a seed of desire in them with that however i think it's time for us to wrap up our conversation thank you so much cherry for participating in our podcast shit you have given both us and our listeners several insights on the matter and given us a lot of food for thought as well this concludes our episode for today dear listeners We have seen how the shift in the textile industry in India has been extremely detrimental to those involved in the manufacturing of the products. India's garment industry directly employs around 12.9 million people. A report released by the International Labour Organization in 2015 explores several of the atrocities committed against the workers and suggests numerous recommendations to resolve these issues. It is now 2021. and we see how none of these changes have been implemented thus as consumers it is in our hands to incorporate a shift towards sustainable and slow fashion that helps battle the evils posed by the capitalist fast fashion companies thank you for tuning in and don't forget to check out our instagram at the rate shift the podcast and keep the conversation alive catch you next saturday for another episode where we will dive into a fresh topic and explore a shift within it.